Good evening. Um, today is a special day. I feel like singing a song. So it starts like this. It says, We've been deceived by the devil too long. But tonight, we're going to tear that devil's kingdom down. <laughs> but I'll just stop, my friend. Go back and sit down. <laughs> you know, whenever a speaker is confused about what they need to say, they say, I think I can hear a song. We're trying to buy time. All right, so let's start. Today's um, welcome. Um, if you're here for the first time at our Theology Day, we're really happy to have you. My name is Femi. And um, City Church, um, the reason why we do this is we try to build the church, our church on uh, a number of things, a number of things that we like to emphasize. And learning is one of them. We have seven of them, but learning is one of them. And so that means we find different expressions through which we can learn. We preach, obviously. Um, we, there's, we have blogs, a blog. We have different things where we dispense content. But one of them is what we do today, Theology Day, which is we just learn theology. So it's not as much about your application, even though teaching should have application. The um, acquisition of knowledge should find some application in our lives. But it's really more about trying to you know, unveil truth and see and correct and hopefully um, um, empower ourselves with that. Because Christians have to be a people of knowledge. Uh, we have a, long, a big Bible. We have to study that Bible to be able to understand the realities of the world that we live in. Now, one of the things that we find is this. If you are a believer... One thing you are sure of is that this world is more complex than meets the eye. See this topic of spiritual warfare that I want to talk about. I'm sure everyone has a spiritual warfare story. Hands up if you do. No, no, no. Okay, here I nodded I had. Even if even if it's by observation. I, I, I remember one I was this is a number of years ago. I was in Port Harcourt. And um oh, in fact one or two stories I'll give to you. They're all from the South-South. I don't understand. South-South in the house? Whoops. Uh-huh. Yeah. Water. <laughs> the land of Mami Water, so you can understand. Reality are too much. So I was with this couple, older couple friend of ours. I, was, I think I was, I was staying with them for something, and we went to their office. As we're coming out of their office, as we enter the car, I think immediately as we're just going, the husband just said, so the wife is in front, the husband is on the... Driver said, and the husband said, ah, that was a snake. She said, what, where? So the guy just meandered around the snake and went. And she said, but that was a snake. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, so you have to reverse. You have to reverse. You have to go on top of it. And it's like, there's no need. He said, you have to, you have to. It's an issue of authority. For I have given you authority to trample upon snakes and scorpions. Which snake is blocking your destiny? <laughs> I mean, I remember that I can't forget. She was really, in fact, because a lot was going on with, in their business that wasn't really, you know, wasn't working out very well. So it's like office, me and you, snake, trample upon, right? 
the, the God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath your feet. All right, let's not use feet. Let's use tires. Either way, we should trample upon it. And I'm sure some of us have a lot of these stories. Um, or maybe you are actually currently going through one that you are, you are engaged in a, a, certain, a kind of spiritual warfare. Now, I want to say this again, just in this intro, that if you are a Christian, you have to say, you have to accept, if you're a biblical Christian, you have to accept that reality extends beyond what meets the eye. We actually believe in an invisible and visible world. In fact, we say there's visible reality and there's an invisible reality. Not there's visible reality and then there's our, our imagination. You know what your imagination is? It's something you are thinking about, but it isn't necessarily reality. We say there's a, a visible reality and there's an invisible reality. It's a reality. And somehow it has a bearing on this world. Now, within that, we think that we would say that there is good in that reality and there is evil in the other reality. When the two, the good and the evil, clash, right, in a combative kind of battle, that's what we call spiritual warfare at the base. Now, almost every Christian will somehow will agree to that. After that, we all just go to our own, everybody goes to their own tent, right? So there's a lot of confusion, I would say, and especially in this part of the world, Nigeria, there's a lot of engagement in spiritual uh, warfare, but there's also a lot of disagreement and a lot of confusion. And so I'm hoping that today, number one of a two-part series in this Theology Day, we'll be able to hopefully have a little bit more of, um, let's say, what you call a more balanced view of what the Bible says about that. Amen? All right. So um, let's start. Let's start. Um, let's start from, I don't know where I will go. Um, let me give another story. So the first one was Potako. The other one is Yenogwa. Yenogwa? Bayelsa? Anyone? Tokyo, where are you from? Reverse. Oh, yeah, Bayelsa, they just cut. The guy, they cut you guys off. But, I mean, river state is one thing. Eh? You see, river state has a lot of land, even though a lot of water. By also, it's mainly, is water. They have one small piece of land. It's water. So, if you want to talk about people who are, who understand the reality, is by also. So, I remember going to one friend of mine's house. So, the friend, no, not her house, her sister's house. We both went to the sister's house. When we got there, the sister wasn't, she wasn't, she said the sister was around because the door was open. But the sister wasn't there. And so we're waiting, said, oh, the sister is in the room. And so I was hearing some stuff, hearing, hearing. But then the thing kind of got louder and louder and louder, all right? So we essentially knew what she was doing. She was praying, but it wasn't just any kind of prayer. She was declaring certain things and all that, all right, so. And then she comes out, she's pleasant, ah, hi, how are you? Blah, blah, greets her sister. Next thing, she sees a wall gecko. She said, ah, ah, who are you? Who sent you? Fall down and, ah. And she kept on, but they, no, it ran. Now, it may have run to its death. We don't know. But she wasn't joking, no. The way she saw it was she had just engaged in, in the room in spiritual warfare there. She finished. 
That war gecko you saw was a manifestation of the reality of what had been achieved. In fact, in many ways, she could have said, ah, my God is so good to me, or this thing was a snake, but now it has become a war gecko or something. And then her shouting on it meant that the thing went. But notice how she said, she said who sent you? Now, where you been come from? Go and tell them. But there's another basic assumption that is there, which is this. That war gecko must represent or must have come from her enemies. And therefore, if they are enemies, and she was praying to God, it means she stands on the place, at the place of good, and her enemies start at the place of evil, isn't it? At the base of spiritual warfare is an understanding that there is good and there is evil. And the two of them clash with each other. Amen? Now, you and I will say, yes, we see that in this world. We, see, we can see, for instance, uh, a corrupt politician, and we can see the righteous workers in the civil service, the ones who suffer. We can say that we can see a murderer, and we can see the person that got murdered. We can say that we see uh, thieves, and we can say the people who they, uh, robbed them. However, when you say, oh, how do we go into this world to understand what is good or evil? I think, and this is what essentially we're going to do today, to really understand what spiritual warfare is about. It's important, at least biblical spiritual warfare, it's important that we first start by looking at the cosmic before we get to the personal. Do you understand what I'm saying? By looking at the cosmic before we get to the personal. What I mean by personal and cosmic is, in that my friend's sister's uh, reality, that was something personal. She had engaged in it. She felt that the, the attacks were coming towards her. But the Bible actually first gives us a cosmic panoramic view about this thing. And I think if we don't accept that, if we don't look at that, it starts to, how we apply it to the personal starts to become a little bit uh, hazy, a little bit foggy, all right? So I want us to see this, that the basics of spiritual warfare come down to the age-old good versus evil concept, but it is important that we look at it first from the cosmic than the personal. Now, as I said, most of us believe in good and evil in this world, but is there good and evil in the spiritual world? Is there good and evil in the spiritual world? Now, maybe you're not a believer here. I want to, add, I want to first quickly challenge this, that if you say... Well, unless I see it, I can't believe it. Remember, in this world, there are many things we don't see, but we have evidence for. Like, for instance, you cannot see microorganisms. You cannot see micro, um, microwaves. You cannot see x-rays. But we know that they exist, right, based on evidence. In the same way, we may not be able to see that world, but we know it exists. But let me first say, some other people will challenge and say, well, I believe in good and evil in, uh, um, among human beings. But I don't think I can extend it beyond human beings. I don't think I can extend it beyond human beings. So for instance, just that we're in Nigeria, this analogy won't work. You know animals? Animals. How many of us believe that there are good animals and there are evil animals? If you believe in good and evil animals, raise up your hand. All right, let's try, let's try this. Um, 
Let, you know the funny thing about this analogy? I even disagree with my own self on it. <laughs> parrots. Parrots, good or evil? Good, good, all right. Um, um, no, 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 don't do that one. Don't do that. <laughs> um, um, ah. Doves, doves. Good. Um, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, bats. <laughs> bats. Yeah, bats. Ibuku, did you say yeah. bats are good? Ba Batman, but Batman, bats are with Batman. Batman is in. What about what about what about uh, dogs? Good, good. Okay. What about? Uh, what about snakes? Snakes are good. Snake oil. So, all right. Remind me to let's discard all those that come from Ondoikiti, right? They don't have a. Snakes are good. The world in which. All right. Now, truth would be, truth would be, generally, it depends on where you are in the world. Some people honestly do keep snakes as pets. Unfortunately. Some people actually have black cats as pets, right? I know you may not be able to fully understand it. I don't, but, but they do. And it seems like those pets love them. Now, here in this part of the world, obviously, if you have a black cat as a pet, you have a problem. <laughs> but if the good and the evil is subject to where we are in the world, then you can't objectively say that there is good or evil. Here's how we think about animals, really, we should think. You either have tame animals or you have wild animals. It's not really on a moral scale. And so somebody will say, yes, exactly, that's what I'm saying. I know evil human beings, I know good human beings, but now you want to take me into a world, another world, the way I think about the spiritual world is not really like good and evil. I think about it in the same way as I think about animals. It's the same thing with bacteria, isn't it? Is that such a thing as good bacteria, bad bacteria? From what I know, actually, we do need, yes, okay. Eh, for what? For your what? From a, uh, there's good bacteria. That's what I'm saying. There's good bacteria. And then even the ones that are harmful, it really is if you have too much of it, right? Something like that. We do need a little bit of bacteria. If you don't have bacteria, apparently you'll be in trouble. Like, they're meant to fight certain things. So you say, again, you see, that, that's how I think about good and evil in the spiritual world. I don't think about it in moral terms. Yeah, but the problem here, I think, is... The Bible says this. One, if you believe in objective moral good and evil, like there is actually evil in the world. When, people, when children are raped, it's not just a matter of, in this part of the world and in this generation of ours, that is a bad thing. But you don't know when, at some other time, it wasn't a bad thing. You say, we don't care about what that other time is. For all time, right, raping of children is bad, isn't it? Now, the Bible will say this, if you can believe that, if there is a moral object, if there is an objective moral standard there, and it's in this world, for that thing to be true, it must have preceded the world itself. 
That is the truth and that moral standard must have preceded the world itself. Why? If it came after the world, the creation of the world, if it was after the creation of the world, then good and evil itself is just something that helps us to manage ourselves within the world. That is, if it comes after, it is just something we use to, let me see, um, it is socially conditioned upon this world. That is, first of all, there was the creation of the world, then there was good and evil. Then in that regard, moral objectivity cannot really be objective. It is just rooted in what makes us good or what, make, what we enjoy. Let me give you an example. Um, personally, in my house, if you're in my house, okay, from my own st standpoint, you, you can't walk barefooted in my house. Right? Can't walk barefooted. Abby? Yes. Abby? Yes. Although you must clean your slippers or your shoes. Now, is that a moral, ob is that objectively right or wrong? <laughs> it's even morally wrong. Wow. It's even the way she went about it. Iboko, stand up. Stand up. And not stand up, stand up on your chair so that we can see you. All right. Now, many of you will say that is my preference, isn't it? It's my preference because I first had to have my house before I could then say institute the fact that you will either uh, put on your slippers or not. It is my own good. You know, everybody, today now we all talk about my truth, living in my truth. It is my own good. It is my own evil because it doesn't predate family and doesn't predate the, the, the world. My house first has to be constructed before I can tell you what is good or what is evil in my house? Do you understand? So because my house had to come first before my own good and evil came, you can't say this is a morally, obje uh, morally um, objective moral standard for everyone everywhere. For something to be an objective moral standard for everyone everywhere, it must have preceded the creation of the environment where it operates. Do we understand now? So in that regard, the objective moral law of good and evil should have preceded the creation of the world for it to be objective. Now, if that is the case, it means if there was anything that existed before the creation of the human world, that good and evil also governed it. Are we together? As long as that good and evil preceded the creation of those things. That's what the Bible presents. Because the Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So God existed before the beginning of creation of the heaven and the earth. We find later that this God existed before the creation of anything at all. So this God then becomes the moral lawgiver. In other words, he's saying, I'm setting this law. If you dis this law represents me, I am all good. This law represents me. If you deviate from this law, you are deviating from me. That puts you in evil. If you go in accordance with this law, that means that you are reflecting me. That puts you in good. All right? Now, after that, he then creates things. Human beings come, as we'll see, later. But if you accept this premise, then it means that good and evil has pre-existed the human race, and therefore any other creation, whether it is humanity or not, 
any other creation before that would still be governed under good and evil. Is this clear? And so, the Bible would say, actually, there are many other things that are created. And you cannot just think, at least when, when we're talking about personhood, you can't just say it's morally neutral. So that's the first thing I would say about this and, and the Bible's view. Now, if this is true, the Bible also puts the fact that in that spiritual world, there are those which are good and there are those which are evil. When they come and clash together, as we'll see that they do, we then have spiritual warfare. Now, for us to see all of these things, let us go into what I said is the cosmic. Let's open to Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12. Is there a mic here? I don't think I want to read this. Is there a mic? Does anybody have an NIV and can read well? Who's willing to read well and fast? They are not willing. You just come back from work. Lazy people. A great sign, a great sign appeared in heaven, Revelation 12, 1 to 5 and 7 to 9. A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his head. Please take note, the first thing, red dragon, all right? Four. Its tail swept a third of the stars of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God, second to note, and to his throne. Verse 7. The war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and dragon and his angels fought back, but he was not strong enough. He was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was held down. That ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled down to the earth, and his angels with him. Well, as you do with the book of Revelation, in your personal study. Don't run away from it, I tried to say. Now, the book of Revelation is not just the Bible's um, futuristic sci-fi genre. It is that. But it's also like the Bible's comic book. Right? What do we have with comic books, words, and we have pictures? Like, you know, they say pictures um, speak louder than... Eh? I said pictures. It's worth a thousand words. Okay. Idea is neat. All right. So, it communicates, you know, if you see a picture, right, you can see so many different things in it. It's static, but you can see so many different things if you are patient with the detail. Now, the book of Revelation, in many ways, is trying to use pictures to show you everything the Bible says, basically. But it's using pictures. Now, it's using word pictures, right? So, it's words and pictures, but it's word pictures. So, it's a bit like a comic book, but not feel like a comic book. Anyway, you get the picture. Uh, no pun intended. All right, now, here, what we see is that there is a sign in heaven. Now, don't think heaven like the way you normally think about heaven, we're going to heaven. No, not that kind. It's saying heaven in terms of it is above the earth, and this thing is going to be, is not limited by space, and is not limited by time. It's giving you a cosmic picture. So there was a sign, whatever we're going to read now, is a sign in heaven that isn't limited by space and Time, all right? 
So we see this woman. We're not going to really talk about the woman today. But there was a woman there. And then she was pregnant. And then she gave birth to a child. We're also not really talking about the child per se. All right? She gave birth to a child. But then we see this ugly, terrible, red, enormous dragon. Seven heads and ten horns. And this dragon, basically, as the woman is about to give birth, is basically the, the graphic is that it's just standing right there as the delivery is about to happen so that it can devour the child. But immediately the child escapes, or the child escapes, and then the child is caught up to God and to the throne of God. All right. Who is the dragon? We're told the dragon is Satan in verse 7 or 8. I'm not sure. And then we see Satan and we see God. Verse 1 to 5, we have God, we have this dragon. But then in verse 7, it tells us, and war broke out in this heaven. War broke out in this heaven. Now, first of all, I should tell you, this is not what happened before time began when Satan actually was thrown down. No, no, no. Again, this is a sign, a picture of something that happens over a period of time. So he's, there is war, and who is fighting the war? On God's side is Michael and who? And his angels. And on Satan's side is Satan and who? And his own angels. What's happening is what you can call a proxy war. What are a proxy war? You know, what's happening in Yemen today? Right? Now, many say, ah, is this uh, Houthi rebels and then the government? Eh, yes. But actually, it's a proxy war that is going on. What do you think was happening in Syria? Eh, well, some people were trying to spring up, but after a while, it was caught up in something larger. So what do you have in the Middle East? The Middle East really is ground for two powers that are trying to dominate. Two powers that represent um, the two factions of Islam. One is Shia, the other one is Sunni, right? Now, the people that represent Sunnis are really Saudi Arabia. And those that represent the Shia is who? Yeah. Iran, all right? And basically, what they try to do as much as possible is to destabilize the other places so that they can have control. So in Syria, for instance, on the one hand, the government was really being supported because it was is within, is, uh, within the Shia uh, is a sect with um, Assad which is a, uh, belongs to a Shia sect. So it's being propped up by Iran. Money is being given to Iran. But the rebels there were getting funding from Saudi Arabia. And you, have, and you can talk about Lebanon, Hezbollah, the terrorist group there is being funded by Iran as well. Al-Qaeda was originally funded by Saudi Arabia. Why they're representing all of these different factions. Who are the people fighting the war? It's really a war between Saudi Arabia and Iran. However, it's a proxy war because the land that is being fought over, where the battle is actually happening, is away from their own lands. Do we understand that? In the same way, this war broke, up, broke down uh, out in where? Heaven, where we can't see. But really, the land that is being fought on is here on earth. In other words, spiritual warfare, the thing about spiritual warfare is that it really has its originations in the world we cannot see, but the evidence 
is in the world you and I can see. Do we understand? So what does it look like? Now, don't forget the main players. The main players is God, on the one hand, and Satan. It's not you and a world gecko. It's not you and a monkey. Okay, the spirit of the monkey. You know the spirit of the monkey? You don't? You've not fought the monkey. You guys are, you are, you are just childish. You have not? All right, we'll get into that, all right? Because part of Nigeria's problems now is the spirit of the Remember now, there was a snake first that ate, and then there was a monkey. Yeah, exactly. We'll get there, we'll get there, because it's a sign. It's a sign. <laughs> now, first you say, well, Satan, so Satan, where did he, I thought, Michael and his angels, Satan has angels. Where did he get angels from? Well, actually, the Bible tells us where he gets these angels from. 2 Peter 2 verse 4 and Jude 1 6. For God, if God did not spare angels when they sinned, 2 Peter 2 verse 4, but sent them to Tartarus, putting them in chains in darkness to be held for judgment. Or Titus 1 verse 6. And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority but abandoned their proper dwelling, these he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. He said that actually God had created angels before he created human beings. Now, why we can know that there was a moral law that governed angels is because he said that the angels sinned. Amen? And because they sinned, they did not hold to their their original dwelling place. They abandoned it. And so all of a sudden, we had this rebellion. Now, that rebellion is not in Revelation 12. We can see it's being told to us here. So these angels that... These spiritual beings that were once good now become the the devil's angels. Now, that's what we then call demons, all right? And they didn't leave their estate. Now, remember I said this is a proxy war. It's between God and Satan, but it's it's here on earth. Where do we first see it? Remember what it calls this dragon in verse 7. It says, Verse 8, sorry. But he was, verse 9, the great dragon was held down, that ancient serpent. That ancient, that means he's, a, he's sorry, can you turn this around? That means he was originally, anciently called a serpent. Where do you think that, what that's taken from, that reference is taken from? The very beginning of creation. So at the very beginning of creation of this world, humanity, God had two um, uh, human beings that he wanted to uh, used to populate the earth. He gave them, again, his law that represented his good and evil because that reflected him. And in chapter 3 of Genesis, after he'd given them that law, this serpent then came. And he's introduced to us as the embodiment of evil. Why? Because if God is the embodiment of good, and in Genesis 1 and 2 we only saw good, all of a sudden the one who contradicts him has to be the embodiment of evil. And now you see the warfare going on between him and God. Why? Because when he speaks to Eve, he says two things. Did God really say? So God had said some things, right? God's word. Did God really say? And he said, did God really say that? Da, 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 da. She said, ah, in the day that we eat of the truth of the tree, we will surely die. He moves from the God really say to you will not surely die. God's word his word in the mind of Eve's world. Did God really say? 
and what? You will not surely die. Well, unfortunately, as a woman, she obeyed the voice of the serpent. What are you saying? What are you saying? In all the dreams that you have seen, women and men, let's take a vote. Because this one is, let's, let's put it aside. Let's just be real with ourselves. Guys, if you have dreamt of snake more than five times, raise up your hand in your life. More than five times. Raise up your hand. Okay. Women, if you've dreamt of snakes more than five times in your life, raise up your hand. Don't lie. Shame the devil. See them. You see your whole day. You know. Snake has been chasing you people right from time. Anyway. Anyway. Let's come back. That's not in the Bible, by the way. It's just my own interpretation. Okay. I wasn't speaking by the Spirit of God. I'm just on that one. But she followed. She listened. And so this started to turn the whole thing around. And what did God then say? To that serpent in verses 13 to 15. Listen to what he says. This is where you start to see the warfare begin. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So all of a sudden, another proxy. Not just between you and the woman, but now between your offspring and the woman's offspring. We see this war now eventually, first of all, come through Cain and Abel. And just as it seems like her offspring would die, she had another son. But also we see this nationally with Israel and uh, Egypt. So remember Israel and Egypt. Um, Israelites were now in the land of Egypt, and they were under slavery. And um, they cried out to God. To Pharaoh, and Moses then came, let my people go. He didn't listen, plague number one. Let my people go. He didn't listen, plague number two, and all of that. And eventually, there's the 10th plague. Oh, yeah, you people get out, just go. But when they're now going and they get to the Red Sea, it's like, what have we done? We've sent away our slaves. We don't have. So he now pursued them. And when he pursued them, these guys are crossing the Red Sea. Eventually, they go off the Red Sea. The Egyptians come in. And then what happens to them? They perish in the Red Sea, right? So when you and I look at that, we say, Moses versus Pharaoh. Israel versus Egypt. That's it. Now, the Red Sea thing happened in Exodus 14. In Exodus 15, Moses teaches the Israelites a song to commemorate what just happened. And here's how that song goes. I'm just going to read verse 1 and 3. He says, Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song not to themselves, but to the Lord. I will sing unto the Lord, for he has highly, for he's highly exalted. Both horse and rider and driver, oh man, <laughs> King James. Both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. I think King James says, Jehovah, the man of war. God himself is a warrior. In other words, what was happening in the plagues of, with the plagues of Egypt wasn't just Moses afflicting the Egyptians. It was the God of the Israelites judging the gods of Egypt. Amen. 
So you see the warfare. It is now God versus Satan. Satan behind the Egyptians and then God behind the Israelites. Remember David and Goliath? That wonderful David and Goliath that we always use. Our children. Every boy wants to read that. Every girl doesn't know where she fits in into it. But somehow we are meant to have courage as David and Goliath. Now, we read that and we say, good, David, Goliath. Ah, even as a small boy, you can face a big giant. Now, lie. Now, lie. No, so have you ever, can you allow any of your children, even if you've been preaching to them for morning to night, to go and face, uh, look at Toki now. Right? Imagine if Tofumi came and told me he can face Toki. I would say, you are, you, are, you are a wonderful child, but you are a delusional child. <laughs> so the story, that's not what you are meant to read there. It's not so much that David was very strong. David fought. It was true. And David killed Goliath. It was true. So he said, oh, David killed Goliath. And that meant that the Israelites won the battle against the Philistines, isn't it? That's true. Because once David killed Goliath, the next thing we saw was that the Israelites, the very scared people that they were, and that's who you are actually. We're actually the Israelites, not uh, the scared Israelites, not really David. But the Israelites now run after the Philistines. They take the plunder, they defeat them, and that's it. But if you read that into the story, you weren't reading the story properly. Because both Goliath and David did not see it only that way. Look at what Goliath said. 1 Samuel 17 verse 43. Goliath did not leave God out of it. He says to David, he said to David, am I a dog that you came at me with sticks? And the Philistine, he says, cursed David by his gods. It was a cosmic battle, not just what you see on the earth. And when David responds, what does David say? David said to the Philistines, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you, How? In the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. The whole world will know, and the whole world will know, that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's. David and Goliath is strong. Israel and Philistine, uh, Philistia is true, but it's proxy. Because it is who? The God of the Philistines versus the God of Israel, or Satan versus the true God, Yahweh. Amen? But there's something you should see about that, though. Even though it is a cosmic war, between good and evil, between the embodiment of good God, the one and true God, and the embodiment of evil, Satan, I could have quoted about five or six more, and you will see that this thing, even though it was fought on the earth, it wasn't just random nations against random nations. It had a very nationalistic feel to it. It was specifically a group of people against their own enemies. It was the Jews versus all the others were just classified as what? Gentiles. Whether you are Malachites, whether you are um, Amorites, whether you, all of them, they were all what? Gentiles. So this spiritual battle, God was, if you like, quite um, partial. God had his own side. 
it was the Israelites versus the other people. In other words, it had a very nationalistic feel to it. God was the God of a particular nation, a nation that occupied a particular piece of land. As against all other nations that were not in that piece of land, all other nations that did not have the temple that he had, that was what spiritual warfare was. It involved nations, and the death that was there, where I was inflicted, was real physical death. Do we understand that? That was, as I say, spiritual warfare. How does this now look as we go forward in the Bible? Because here's the thing. I don't know if you've ever... I remember a few years ago, I was going through some things, and I, I knew that I needed to fight some battles. You know, there's, there's prayer, and then there's prayer. There's fast, and then there is real fasting. Like, there's no... There's, there's fasting. <laughs> so, after I was going through this thing, it was revealed to me, Deuteronomy chapter 7, that all the things I was battling, there was one I battled, you, you, you know, just you, you, my friend, get out from here. But this one, the thing that was coming against me was seven nations. Seven nations, just me. Yeah, you can imagine, God has set me up for <laughs> Because the seven nations were inside my promised land. And they needed to be driven out. Who is in your promised land? <laughs> so there were Perizzites there. There were Jebusites there. There were Gergesites there. There were Amorites there. Do you understand? Now, I had to research each of those. Do you understand? So by the time I knew that well, these ones cannot be driven out of the land except by what? Because if the lines have to fall into... Uh, for you in pleasant places. The seven nations were putting me behind the line here. I needed to enter. But before they, I enter, they have to what? Go. So I entered a three-day dry fast. Hey, no, 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 no. Uh, hey, fasting. That is dry. You know what dry is? No water. No water. As I said, you people are playing. I'm saying no water because I had to enter into my, you understand? I started, it wasn't easy. I can't remember which night it was. At some point in the night, my dream started repeating. It was like on auto replay. <laughs> then I was having different, I was just seeing different things. I was seeing myself here. I was seeing myself there. Everything was just coming out like, man, the seven had become 70. <laughs> and I knew this one, this battle it's for the Lord, for that one, but there's a battle here. I don't know if you've done this before. For the first time in my life, I went, 3 a.m., I went to the kitchen. I rice, I washed it, put onion, whatever, I put it on the pot. I sat down in front and I looked at, have you ever looked at rice from beginning to the end to a boil? It boiled, it was finished, I put it on the plate, I ate. Oh, <laughs> I ate so much, <laughs> I started to fight another battle, my whole system. Now, what was I doing? I was taking this concept. I said, ah, you know, that was the Old Testament. I'm not going out to go and kill anybody. There are no Gergesites. There are no Perizzites. But I did what is called in, in biblical interpretation, typologizing. You say, oh, they're not there again. That's the Old Testament. So what we need to do is anything we see in the Old Testament, 
We have to somehow spiritualize it. Everything has its deep meaning. So you have to find your own. So it now becomes a typology. This one, so you're not getting to the original meaning of the Amorite. Amor, Amorite is Amori. Amori is connected to them, 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 and then you, you understand. <laughs> Said that the politician in Delta State whose name is Amori, you know. <laughs> Obviously, you know you can't vote for him. <laughs> Like somebody I know that said, um, there was, I think it was in Revelation, and he said that the people that were giving problems were the people from the East. And he told me, that's why you must never buy products from China. You know, China is from the East. So typology is one way some people will say, this is how we extend the spiritual battle. Now, is that the right way? I think it's wrong because it's not reading the Bible properly. You see, all I've just said is, part of the Old Testament, but the Old Testament is not complete revelation. The way you look at your Bible is that there is progressive revelation. By progressive revelation, it means this. The Old Testament is setting some principles, setting some pictures, setting some things that we need to see fulfillment of in the New Testament. When you do that, you can understand what the Bible is saying so that we can now see what spiritual warfare looks like. So, don't forget, it's God that is fighting the war, isn't it? The thing that changes the old and the new, what makes the revelation complete, is the revelation of God himself into humanity's space. Right? Don't forget, the Bible is revelation. So God is revealing God to humanity. So God himself now enters into humanity in the person of Jesus Christ. Right? And when Jesus gets on the scene, he says something. He says that the kingdom of God is here. Now, don't forget, I probably should have put it in a summary. When we talk about Satan's battle with God, we are talking about two kingdoms. The kingdom of God and what? The kingdom of Satan. The kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. So Jesus comes on the scene. He says that John the Baptist now was now going away. Listen to what he says in Mark 1.14. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. And here, the kingdom of God is done in. And here, the kingdom of God is coming near. Oh, what does he mean? Because we understand that when we talk about the kingdom of God and its coming, we're also talking about a battle between the kingdom of Satan. Well, if you continue to follow the Old Testament, you understand what it means, right? The way the kingdom of God was advancing was we were getting rid of Israel's enemies. So at this point in Jesus' time, who are the enemies of Israel? I think the Romans, right? Because they didn't have a king again. So the Romans were, now that's why you read, you hear centurion here. You read, they were under Roman occupation. So they were a nation, but they weren't a nation that were governed by their own people. There was an empire, a Roman empire. They were under that. So if Jesus is bringing the kingdom, if Jesus fights spiritual warfare, he's God that's come. How do you think... He's going to, how do you think as an Israelite, you're thinking, this is how the kingdom of God is going to come. What do you think? He will kill Caesar. And establish the throne of David as was, as was prophesied. This is what John the Baptist himself thought. This is what John the Baptist himself thought. Why? Matthew chapter 12. Or Matthew 11, verse 2. 
when John, when John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one that is to come? Or should we expect someone else? This is chapter 12. Don't forget, in Matthew chapter 3, John has, um, John has said to these people, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin. That's John. But he says, this is the one who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. In other words, John said, this is the Messiah. John identified him as the Messiah. So what's John saying here? Why is he saying that? Nine chapters after. You know why? John is like, I'm, I've been put in prison. Okay, fine. <laughs> you know, I can stay there for a while. So that if I, increase, if I re decrease, he will increase. But it's one month now. What did, has he forgotten? Two months. Um, he asked the guard, is Caesar still on the throne? Okay, it's, it's now six months. Ah. It's like this guy's playing. What are the Romans still doing there? So John himself starts to doubt. You know why? Because John is thinking still from that Old Testament way of thinking that the Roman Empire must come down, that the Messiah, this one that's coming, is a militaristic general. So why me, the final prophet, why should I still be in jail? Can you not fight this spiritual battle and bring an end to all things? So what did Jesus say? I'll tell you what Jesus says after, but let's not do that. Jesus was confusing us. Because he comes, he says the kingdom of God is on the scene. He actually does believe in spiritual warfare, but he's not seeing it the way John does it. So, for instance, in Matthew chapter 12, listen to what happens. We find out that Jesus has been casting out demons. What's all of that? Casting out demons. Why are you playing around? So, but when the Pharisees heard this, they said, it is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that, the, that this fellow drives out demons. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan, if Satan drives out Satan, is he divided against himself? How then can his kingdom stand? So he identifies Satan's kingdom. But you're saying that, oh, Satan is against himself. No, he had the, but he said, no, that's not the reality. There's Satan's kingdom there. But if I, and if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your uh, people drive them out? So then they'll be your judges, verse 28. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come to you. What is going on? Yes, you are talking about kingdom language, but we're still occupied by the Romans. So Jesus is bringing a lot of confusion. This isn't what we understand. And so back to John. When Jesus hears from, about what John says, you know what he says? He sends a message back to John. He said, tell John, go back and report to John what you hear and see, this John's disciples. The blind receive the sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is Proclaim to the poor. Ah. You know, the Bible never records that John says, uh, can you, <laughs> what are you saying? I've already heard that, that news now, so what are, you, what, what are you saying? The Bible never says John does. In fact, John keeps quiet. Jesus later praises John. Why did he keep quiet? 
John the Baptist was, is the only prophet they say that has been prophesied, or was ever prophesied about. You know when he says that, um, the one who shall prepare the way of the Lord. Do you know where that's taken from? Isaiah chapter 40. And John knew that by himself. John said, I am the one who they said that um, is the, um, I'm the, the one who this verse is talking about. He said that. So in other words, John was a student of the book of Isaiah. Do you understand? Now in the book of Isaiah, if you read Isaiah 32, 33, 34, 35, there's a block there. Isaiah 32 says, Behold, a king shall reign in righteousness, and princes shall rule in judgment. In verse, and then it talks about wonderful things in Isaiah 32, Messianic age. Then in 33 and 34, it talks about judgment. Then 35, it really gets very nice, the Messianic age. And in verse 5 and verse 6 of that, it talks about in this Messianic age, the lame will walk, the deaf will hear, the blind will see. You know what Jesus was telling John? Go back and read your Bible. When you say, should we expect another, see the evidence. I am the true Messiah. I think what you need, John, is that your thinking has been a bit skewed. You're only seeing this kingdom come through militaristic means. Whereas that book that you've been reading is showing you that the kingdom is going to come slightly differently. And as a result, my exorcisms, my healings, are actually a demonstration of the warfare that is going on. But then he adds one more thing. Jesus said, tell John, the blind see, the lame are walking, and then the, um, the deaf are hearing. And the final thing he says, and the good news is being proclaimed. The good news, the gospel is being proclaimed. And he says all of this in the context of spiritual warfare. Why? This goes back to Revelation chapter 12. And I remember, let's go back to Revelation 12. There was war in heaven, isn't it? Michael and his angels fought against the devil and his angels. Right? War. And so we look at that like, ah, gang, 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 you know, that kind of thing. And so even though we are not doing it, we too, we get into our, our, our closet, we declare... We do all of those things. We are fighting the war. We are fighting the war. I bind you. I bind you. I cast you. I bind you. You want to be engaging in that. That's spiritual warfare. But how was this warfare won? Read verse 10 and verse 11. You see again, kingdoms comes in. Verse 10. For now, I wish we all had our Bibles we could read together. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God, and the authority of his Messiah. Why? For the accuser of our brothers and sisters, who's, who, who, is that, who is that accuser? All right. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters, who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. How? The triumph, triumph comes in where? Isn't it in battle? The triumph over him by the blood of the Lamb. By the blood of the Lamb. Follow closely. Please follow closely. Jesus is God who has come into the world. God is going to fight this battle against Satan. 
But at the same time, when he's fighting his battle against Satan, it's not just about might, it's also about wisdom. He deceives Satan at his own game. So he comes in, Satan comes to try and tempt him in, at the onset of his ministry, unlike Adam, who had run away from his wife, this one stood. Unlike Adam, who was actually in a garden, he was in a wilderness. Unlike Adam, who had all, all manner of food, Jesus was fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. He defeats Adam the way Eve should have defeated him. He spoke the word of God to Satan, right? Remember, Eve listened to the voice of Satan. And then when he starts his ministry, he starts to proclaim this kingdom is coming, is coming. He starts to demonstrate the power of that kingdom now in the metaphysical world. So he's saying, look, it's coming. I'm about to defeat him. I'm about to defeat him. And then when you think he's going to defeat him by, I don't know, just carrying Satan and crushing him in some way or bringing down the Roman Empire, Satan catches him and he dies. Like, so what's all the demo for? What's all the demonstration for? Like, at the end of the day, Satan traps him. Satan gets him. He puts him on the cross. He shames him. And he's finished. He got Satan at his game. Because the kingdom of darkness was defeated under darkness. Because the one who defeated him is the creator of the heaven and universe. There is no way Satan can defeat the one who created him. So Jesus played Satan at his own game. He's the one that deceives, that always deceives. But he lured him into and lured evil to the place of the cross and defeated Satan. That's why Colossians 2 said, if they had known, they would not have what? Crucify the Lord of glory. But in that, he disarmed the principalities and powers, making an open show of them in the cross. He nailed it to the cross. So when you want to talk about spiritual warfare and you are not talking about the death of Christ, my friend, you are just blowing hot air. When you are binding and casting, when you are declaring and you are, your soles of your feet are going in different places and you are marking territory for God, you are just removing sweat from your body, which is not bad, actually. Right? You are losing weight or something. But quite often, we miss the very central point. That's why he then says, the way this kingdom is going to advance, it's now about the proclamation of that message of what he did to defeat Satan. In other words, the battle is the Lord. It's not you and I that fight the battle. Spiritual warfare has already been battled. It has already been done, and Christ has already won. So when you want to talk about spiritual warfare, true spiritual warfare, don't talk to me about something that is happening. Talk to me about something that has already been done. Because the battle is the Lord's. And he's done it in the death of Christ. So then what are we meant to be doing now? Ah, I'm glad you asked. Because this is why Paul was commissioned. In fact, Paul puts it this way in Ephesians 1, verse 13 to 14, to show you that the thing continues. Ephesians 1, he says, For he has rescued us from the dominion. Dominion. Dominion is where we get kingdom. King dominion. A dominion of a king. He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. Because the kingdom of God is really the kingdom of Christ. He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and has brought us into the dominion or the kingdom of the son that he loves. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You see, this is where some people miss it. They'll say there's the gospel of the kingdom and there's the gospel of salvation. Can you not see the two of them coming? 
in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins, that is how we get into the kingdom of his son, and that is how we've been rescued from the kingdom of... So what are we meant to be doing now? Do you know what the kingdom of... Um, how the kingdom of God is now advancing? It's a depopulation exercise from the kingdom of darkness. He rescued us from the dominion of darkness and puts us into the kingdom of his dear son. So in other words, the core of it is how we get people from Satan's territory. It's about territory, but it's not the way we think about territory immediately. It's about territory of people. Are you still under the domain of darkness or are you under the domain of his son? How do you do it? It's not by just confessing anything, paying money anywhere. It says if you have the forgiveness of sins, you are in that other kingdom. Paul would say, Paul was a warrior. That was his commission. His commission was to be depopulating the kingdom of darkness and populating the kingdom of God. Listen to Paul's commission in Acts 2, 26 verse 18. This is what God told Paul. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them, the Gentiles that I'm rescued from. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light. And listen, here it comes. And from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified in faith by me. Let me, last scriptural reference. There was a time in the book of Acts, we get to Acts chapter 12. Now, Stephen has been martyred already. He's the first martyr, but he's not the first apostolic matter. In Acts chapter 12, Herod, the king, a puppet kind of king, is trying to flex his muscle. And he's trying to shut down this whole Christianity nonsense. So what does he do? Let's go against one of the leaders. Let me put my own kingdom. Now remember, when this kind of thing is happening, who do you think is behind it? So he says, let's, let's, let's try and end it, because Satan now wants to stop the propagation of this word. So, it was about that time, this time, that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. This one we'll talk about the next time we gather. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. So James was put to death. And now he wants to start putting all the rest to death. If I can kill Peter, if I can kill all these guys, I will end this movement. So then, in verse 11, he put, then he put, uh, he put Peter into prison wanting to kill him. But in verse 11, this is what happened. Then Peter came to himself and said, because an angel visited him to remove him. Remember, the angels are the messengers of God. An angel, so he said to himself and said, now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. Then verse 23. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of God continued to spread and flourish. What is happening? Satan is at work. Paul has received, Paul, other people, they receive commission. The way we advance this kingdom is that we spread the word. So Satan says, all right, if I go through this evil king, 
if we destroy these 12 that the thing has been given to, we can probably kill the church at his infancy. And let me show you how. So he gets James, number one. Woo, he's gone. Then he puts Peter in prison. Man, this thing is going wrong. Very, this thing is going very well. But then God shows him. This is so funny. On the one hand, God doesn't rescue James. On the other hand, God rescues Peter. And then what happens at the end of the day? Herod dies. James dies. Peter is in prison, then released. And Herod dies. And you then think, oh, okay, just like in your own whatever, they caught my older brother. The covenant was put on my older brother. My older brother died, but I went for deliverance. I was released. And so we are enjoying ourselves. The kingdom of God has advanced. So that's, that's how we'll end the story. James, it was unfortunate. He didn't believe well. He didn't make the declarations. Peter did, or he had more prayer warriors that were praying for him. And then the evil man died. All right, good, wonderful. Another tale by moonlight, another tale by moonlight of the kingdom of God. That's not how he ends. After he says all that, what did he say? He says, but the word of God spread and what? Flourished. What was Herod trying to stop? Or what was Satan through Herod trying to stop? It wasn't so much James. Because whether James was beheaded, killed or not, when James becomes 90, he would die of natural death, isn't it? What Satan was trying to do was to stop the word. And what he was saying was whether James dies, whether Peter is in prison, because God is the God of the whole world, nothing will stop the advance of this kingdom. Because the word of God shall continue. Amen? The, word of the kingdom advances through the spread of the word of the kingdom. It is depopulating people from darkness when they hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the cosmic view of what is happening. Now, Satan is going to use different ways, and we'll talk about that the next time we look at it. He's going to use different ways. There's a personal dimension to it. So I'm not trying to make little of some of the spiritual attacks that we talk about. No, there is. There's, there's that. There's a personal dimension, there's collective dimension, but never miss the point. The whole issue about spiritual warfare is about the advance of the kingdom of God through the gospel. If you want to talk about prayer, when Paul is even asking for prayer, he says, pray that there is an open door for me for what? The gospel. Because that's how the warfare is fought. Amen. Now, finish with this, just to show us why it's so important we mustn't misplace the core. Imagine if you say, for instance, look at Nigeria. Is Nigeria being ruled by God or by Satan? Let me ask you. Let me ask you. Uh, I'm asking you now, because sometimes when you look at the, as in Twitter, is it God or Satan? Don't forget, is, is, is the person that is president, is he a Christian? And don't forget about the agenda. <laughs> is Nigeria being ruled by God or, or Satan? Good one. Uh -huh. Now, how do we judge it? For instance, let us say, as somebody who has studied so much about territorial spirits. Don't worry, next time we'll talk about the Prince of Persia, okay? About territorial spirits. You can see that there is a spirit around the north, the spirit of, he wears a turban. 
coming from and he has dusted dust feet, dusted feet, and he looks like an Arab coming somewhere from I don't know Mali or something like that, and he's he's put a casting whatever, and the first embodiment of that spirit was Usman Danfodio. So you've studied all of these things, and you now say. Nigeria has made a covenant with some kind of whatever. And so unless we release Nigeria from that, the kind of pains. Look at Africa's giant. And look at, look at, we are still going to South Africa and all of these things. Which giant are we? Canada. You know all of these things. Africa's giant. Can you not see that we're under a curse? And you say, look at the metrics. India has, is it seven or eight times the population of Nigeria? And yet, Nigeria has more poor people in the nation than India, isn't it? According, eh, okay, they, have, they said we have more poor people in Nigeria. That, that's poverty index, whatever. Okay, fine. Maybe if, if it's not really... But no, that's what they said last year, right? Uh -huh. So that Nigeria is the, pop, the uh, poverty population of the world. Extreme poverty population, uh, capital of the world. Okay. How can you not see that that is Satan? So here's how things need to happen. We need to start a prayer movement. We start the prayer movement, we pray, 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 and then over a period of two years, we start to get revelation. And we then know, because the issue here is, look, look at our economic, look, you saw there's Islamic banking that's been released, that they're trying, the Sharia law that's coming, all of these things is the cause of our poverty. So the best thing we need to do, these are economic and political, our economic is tied to the political, and the political is tied to the spiritual. So in the coming election, God has chosen his man. Because it's not we prayed, and there was revelation for us of who it's going to be. And we know that it's not going to be that guy there. It's going to be this guy. So that once we can vote in our guy, who has the mandate of God behind him, he will institute righteous policies, he will fight those people with that something agenda. And then the, you know, because if my people call upon my name, um, if my people who are called by my name humble ourselves. So don't forget, that's the two-year of prayer thing. We, we call, we humble ourselves, we seek his ways, and we turn from our evil ways. All right? So if we do all of that, there's this two-year prayer chain and all of those things. The revelations come. We know the right man. Now, what we need to do is to mobilize Christians to then vote in the right man. And when we vote in the right man, and now he's now enthroned, you know what happens? The kingdom of God starts to come in to Nigeria. So that we can then say, after all our prayers, we are now in the place of declaration. All we say now, we don't pray. We just say, your will be done in Nigeria. Your will be done in Nigeria as it's done in... No, as it's done in Nassau Rock. Because now, in Nassau, heaven has invaded... Hassle Rock. You understand? The kingdom of God has come in. Now, this thing I'm saying, as you may well know, I am actually not talking about something that is too far-fetched. These things happen. What is the problem there? The kingdom of God can never come through an election. The kingdom of God can never come through any kind of institution of any economic policies. It doesn't happen. The kingdom of God does not come in through healthcare policies. How does the kingdom of God come in? By the preaching of the gospel of Christ. Amen. That is the core. Now, 
If you say Satan's, ultimately Satan reflects evil and destruction, you are correct. So that when we see extreme poverty, this isn't the way God designed the world. It is true. But if you look at extreme poverty as the core problem of anybody, you will say that how we solve extreme poverty is the kingdom we are looking for. And in that, Satan has got you. Satan is very happy for us to flourish and be deceived. Because that way you are still under his dominion. Even in our personal way, if you say, the biggest problem I have in this life is that I'm not married. Let me tell you what's going to happen. And then you see, me, I'm not married. My, older sister, my younger sister is not married. And my third sister is not married. There are four. And the fourth one, she is 33. The fourth one is 33. You are number two. You understand? Is that, now, now, for some people, and I'm not, it's a big problem. And when you see those four, you can see a trend, isn't it? So you have come to, you go to spirit church, uh, to city church, they tell, they say, those people, they speak English, English, Turanchi, just talking concepts, concepts, all this nonsense. That means, that's you, right? So you say, somebody now comes to me and say, I know this prophet. It always starts with a prophet. Because pastors are not, you know, prophet, prophet. And he has power. So you now go and see the prophet. And you know how the prophet thing starts. Mm, ah, mm. The first thing he sees, you know what he first sees now? You know what he first sees? It's always a tree. And then after the tree, there's a root. There are roots that they've planted your family name. And so you can, now you do all of those things. Fine, you now do all this prayer. You go, oh, okay. You do all of those things. Eventually, oh, let's even say, you do that. Two years after you get married, the prophet was right, Abby. And when you get married, in fact, now you guys, you got visa, you went to Canada, you are living life. Didn't the kingdom of God come in? No, but when you are in Canada, I'm not saying this happens to everyone in Canada, but when you are in Canada, this person that you got married to is not really a believer. Even you yourself, you really didn't like the church, so you used to do your own church in your own personal room. Before you know it, you don't really, whatever you go, but you are married. So, so what are we talking about? You see what has happened? The problem that you have diagnosed is the central problem. The problem that you see that God is, meant to, is trying to solve in these cosmic things about your marriage. Can you grow up? The kingdom of God is a cosmic... The issue of the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness, the issue of spiritual warfare is a cosmic battle. A huge battle about what is true evil. Satan, what Satan ultimately wants when he says that it's the... the the thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. Is that he is ultimately about eternal destruction because that is his destiny. Satan knows he has lost the battle. You know what he's trying to do? I'm going down, but I'm going to take as many people down with me. That's what he's trying to do. And so he will deceive you that your problem is married. He will deceive you your problem is economics. He will deceive you that your problem is that you've not gotten a breakthrough as long as you're not thinking about the gospel. In that regard, he is winning the spiritual warfare against you. And that's why we must always be careful as to know what is the core. How did they overcome? How did they win? By the blood of the Lamb. What did the blood of the Lamb achieve? Forgiveness of sins. What happens when we have forgiveness of sins? We are brought into the kingdom of his dear son. Now, the next time we come, we will then talk about how from that core, there are then radial things. So we can then talk about is in that context I'm willing to now talk about. So what do we do about 
demon possession? What do we do about sickness? What do we do about all of these things? Because those things are there. But there's also arguments. There's also ideologies. All of these things are there. But you can take any one of those that are on the outside and put them in the center. And that's where you miss it. So we must remember what it is. It is about an eternal destiny. Satan's eternal destiny is already sealed. But he's trying to bring many people down with him. Jesus has already sealed the eternal destiny of his people. And so now it's about populating his kingdom with those people through the spread of the gospel. Amen? Amen. Let us pray.